You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and boy, do we have a great show planned for you. I've invited Tweed Pham Satrapi, who is the president and founder of Lux Lucid, to be our guest today. She's an Orange County entrepreneur. And hi, Tweed. How are you? Hello. I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm very excited to be here. So, so, So let's talk about your business and the motivation for you to start your business. What what was it? What did you see in the market and why did you decide to start this business? So it was interesting that the kind of the way that it all came down, because I've I feel like I was born to be an entrepreneur. I was that kid who, you know, started my own my first business when I was like eight or nine or something like that, just doing odd jobs around the neighborhood. I came from a family that didn't have a whole lot of money. So I decided, you know what, if my parents can't afford me to buy if my parents can't afford to buy me the things I want, I'm going to figure out a way to make my own money so that I can buy it. So it just, so you call it like a serial entrepreneur, but real estate is something that I've always been interested in, but I just didn't know where within the realm of real estate. There was something in the back of my mind as far as coming from, you know, a lower middle class, you know, possibly lower class family, I would just see, I'm like, okay, how do people who have money have money? Where is wealth created from? And so real estate was just something that was interesting to me. And it allowed me to just kind of dig in a little bit. Being a realtor didn't seem appealing. And then I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I Googled him and it, you know, and it just, I felt like it opened up my eyes to this is exactly what I've been looking for. And I, att- I started attending some classes and I was still working a full-time corporate job at that time, which uh, it was in the insurance industry. And I'd been doing that for about 13, 14 years. And I developed a skill set to do that. But it just it was one of those things that it didn't make my heart sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't wake up excited to do it necessarily. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the company. I loved just the clients and everything, but insurance in and of itself just wasn't sexy to me in that way. Whereas real estate has always been very sexy to me. I was that person who would always watch HDTV and, you know, just, and like, oh, this is amazing. And my husband and I did buy a fixer upper because I had the vision. I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was one of those where, you know, the carpet had oil stains on the bottom. And we joked that we used to call it the murder room because it looked like it could have been a crime scene. And there were just, it was a fixer of a house, but just, Uh with the budget that we had at the time with what we wanted. So uh, it just became a natural fit. I started it as a side hustle where I would just do it. I was pregnant. I have two kids now. Uh, I was pregnant at the time. So I had the pregnancy insomnia. I'd wake up at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. So I just work. I'm like, well, I can't go back to sleep. So I'll just work on the side hustle. Um, And it was, I chose to do Indiana for a number of different reasons, but the time zone component was convenient. The fact that I was waking up at two o'clock California time because it was five o'clock Indiana time. So we're going to talk specifically about where you are in the real estate industry in a moment. But Mm -hmm. before we go there, how long ago was it that you turned your side hustle into a full-time hustle? Uh, It was actually right before COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So COVID started 2020, right? So it was March 
I had my last day sometime in March, uh, or I want to say February of 2020. Wow. And then a few weeks later, COVID hit. So it was within a couple of weeks of COVID. So it's been about uh, two years. Two so years for those three. that are listening live. It's yeah. February now, 2022. And so we're coming up on your anniversary. So was there ever, um, when did you know that this side hustle full-time was going to thrive as a business that you could count on and scale? You know, I still don't necessarily feel that I know for sure, but I've taken the burn all the ships approach to it. So Mm -hmm. no quit date. I'm just doing this and I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. So not quitting. I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to figure out a way to make it work. And I've certainly had my shares of challenges with the business, with losing money on certain deals and just my learning curve and things like that. But it's just, I see it all as a learning experience. And as someone that I listened to a speaker at one of the Robert Kiyosaki events said, you know what, if you lose money on a deal, it's tuition. If somebody, if something happens, Mm. it's tuition. So just in the same way that I could go and get my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, my PhD, and I'm paying tuition to learn that enables me again, these are all learning experiences. So it's tuition. So what a great way to frame it in a, yeah. Ter- yeah, in a positive way and in investment in yeah. yourself. So, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I come from a school of where I have, not sure if you're familiar with the term growth mindset versus mm-hmm. a fixed mindset. Absolutely. Uh, I grew up with more of a fixed mindset. So failures in my book or what I previously deemed as failures were the end of the world. So this, business is really teaching me that it's okay to fail because it's all part of the learning curve and success is not a straight line up. It has its ups and its downs, but overall, if I stick with it long enough and I learn from those failures and mistakes, then eventually the upward path trajectory is going to be up from where I was five years ago, 10 years ago. And this is why one of the reasons to me that I've enjoyed over the years doing this business talk show and talking to entrepreneurs such as yourself, because if you've never been an entrepreneur, the journey is foreign. But if you've been an entrepreneur, that path is all too familiar, regardless of the industry or whatever. Those right. uh, early years, you know, kind of the first five years, frankly, in general, are mm-hmm. a series of of pivoting and learning and worrying. And, uh, and, and so I, I applaud you for burning the ships and staying with it, even though you faced probably some challenges that were brought to you, but I would assume by virtue of COVID. Were there anything, was there anything specific that COVID impacted your business in a way that you hadn't anticipated when you were doing it as a side hustle? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been both a positive as well as a negative force in my business. So Prior to COVID, the housing market, there was a shortage in the housing market. So the inventory was very low and COVID created a situation where it became even smaller or even an even bigger shortage. How does that work? But there became even less, yeah, less even, (laughs) there was already very few houses on the market and then Uh there became, the inventory got even lower because of that, Um, which for me, from someone who as one of my businesses is to flip houses. So I buy a house, I fix it up, and then I sell it again. So that pushes up the price of the home, the value of the home. So as someone who is looking to fix it up and sell it, then that's great for me. Uh, One of the downturns or one of the downsides of COVID is it's created a labor shortage. It's created supply chain issues. So 
for example, I was speaking with my uh, my general contractor yesterday, and I've got I typically will have multiple multiple projects going on, and mm -hmm. he's like, normally I would love to do this for you, but I'm having a really hard time finding help, finding good help and skilled help that will stick around. He's got his core crew of guys, and he can usually handle five, six, seven properties at a time. But right now, his crew is such a skeleton, uh, such a skeleton crew, that he's had a hard time finding that and therefore he can't take on as many projects and therefore I have a harder time taking on more projects or actually it's not a hard time taking on more projects but it would just be a longer hold time mm -hmm. so whereas we could typically hammer out a rehab in an easy rehab in about six weeks maybe eight because of the supply issues because of the labor shortages excuse me it stretches out longer for that so longer holding time means more interest that I'm paying to my private money lenders, which for them is a good thing because they're <laughs> earning more interest on their money. Right. Um, but ultimately it means a little less profit for me, but at the same time it evens out because depending on the timing of the market, which I don't have a crystal ball to be able to predict, but depending on where the market is when it is time for me to sell, then the market has continued to climb. So, or it, it has generally continued to climb. So it's been a good thing overall. So you pay a little bit more in the interest on the loan because you're keeping it longer, but maybe you're getting it back on the appreciation because it, your market it's been on the market a little bit longer. Exactly. Interesting. So yeah. so let's and get the into the cost of labor has gone up too. And material. Mm -hmm. Right. We all heard about lumber and how expensive that was a year ago. And so Absolutely. yeah, you're and you're running multiple projects. So the, all these issues compound themselves. Oh, the life of an entrepreneur, isn't it exciting? Uh, it's it's a great first world issue to have. <laughs> right. And so let's talk about the business. Let's talk specifically about the, if we can start with the, the decision that you made that a part of the industry you wanted to be in was this buying homes, renovating and selling them. Why did you pick Indiana being here in Southern California as the place you wanted to do that? So it, it was a series of events that happened. And then it was a, a number of different reasons that came into the ultimate decision. I started looking in California and I started with, you know, I bootstrapped it. I took out a home equity line of credit on my house and I used that as uh, as our startup money basically. And it just $300,000. I was like, oh my God, I have so much money, $300,000. This is going to be great. And then $300,000 from a real estate perspective is not worth a whole lot in Southern California. So, you know, I just, I was marketing and I was talking to sellers and I'm analyzing deals and I just wasn't finding the type of returns that I was looking for. Um, California is a heavily appreciation based market. Um, and also a contributing factor was honestly, my skill set just wasn't there talking to sellers and, uh, being able to understand their motivations a little bit better, learning how to provide a solution for them. Didn't have all of my systems in place. Uh, so that was a contributing factor as well. It's also a very, very competitive market in Southern California. So, uh, I was part of the Robert Kiyosaki school and we did weekly classes where people, investors from all over the United States would get together and share deals. And I'm like, where are you getting these deals where you're getting 10%, you know, of cash, you know, return on your money, or you can get $200 or like $200 a month or $300 a month, or like just the ROI that you could get and or the cash flow was just, I was like, this is unheard of in California. So I started looking at a state. There was a guy who used to live in California, 
who actually moved out to Indiana uh, and he sells something called turnkey property. So he buys them, he fixes them up and then he resells them. And then he puts a renter in there for people to do that. So I was like, okay, I considered buying one of his properties uh, or his company's properties, but I thought they were a little overpriced for what we got. So I decided to just look into other areas and starting to build the market there. So just a little bit of both. I And the other component was uh, I figured it would be better for me to, as I'm learning, I figured it would be better for me to make a mistake on a house that's $50,000 or $100,000 right. as opposed to a house that's $500,000 because it would be tough and it would take some time to recover. But if I messed up on a $50,000 or $100 house, I'm not going to go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I mess up on a $500,000 house or a million dollar house, that would take a lot longer for me to recover from. So that's just a number of components that went into so, Indiana. So, so you've talked about the benefit you've derived from Robert Kiyosaka, Kiyosaki and his organization. Uh, I'm wondering, um, would you be where you are today if you hadn't enrolled in that program and participated as actively as you did? That's an interesting question. I'm going to... Honestly, it could go either way. Okay. So there are a lot of different resources out there. Uh, I happen to pay a lot of money for the education that I got through his company. Was it worth it? Absolutely. It gave me the education. It gave me the confidence. And I think I'm one of those, not I think, I am one of those people <laughs> who, if I don't have enough skin in the game, then I'm a lot more likely to just let it pass. But because I had so much skin in the game, I'm like, nope. I am making this money back times a thousand, times a million. So whereas if I paid a couple hundred dollars for a program, I probably wouldn't value it the same way. And I wouldn't, I may not have engaged in it the way that I did. And just again, done, just dove in with both feet the way that I did. Um, whether it would have happened or not, possibly through other resources, because I'm still continuing. I'm a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. I like to, so I continue to take courses and read books and I'm part of uh, networking groups and masterminds that have to do with real estate because there's always, there's always changes in the market and just different ways of doing things. And then also I, I know I'm not an expert, so I want to learn. I want to shorten my learning curve as much as possible. So I'd like to learn from the experience and mistakes of other people who have gone before me so as to hopefully shorten my learning curve and make less mistakes and less costly mistakes as well. Yeah. So you're not paying so. as much tuition. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Right. I already so, paid substantial tuition for college, for traditional college, uh -huh. as well as my real estate education. So, so teach me a little bit about your your specific niche. What are the drivers to success in how you've constructed your business, where you're purchasing homes, improving them, and reselling them? What's one the of the one of the key things I would say is to buy at a discount as much as possible. So if a house is worth, and that could be turnkey buy at a discount, which is more challenging to do, especially in this market, uh, or it could be buy at a discount because you're adding value to it. So for example, uh, we're finishing up a wrap or we're finishing up a flip that we did right now. I purchased it for $250,000. Uh, we've put in about 85,000 in mm. rehab for it. Uh, which for that market, it's like on the high, high end of things. And this is going to be the biggest flip that I've ever done. Uh, but we wrap escrow uh, next week. So I was like, 
timely to talk about it. Uh, and then that house, we listed it for four eighty nine, and we got a full price offer. So it's, I want to add in that cushion. So when I do my calculation, if I believe that the house is worth four eighty nine, then I am purchasing it. I'm not doing four eighty nine minus $85,000 because that would leave me no room for profit, no room for holding costs or anything like that. So I work it backwards. So if the, or let's actually, let's use easier numbers. Mm -hmm. If a house is worth $100,000 and, and it needs $25,000 in repairs, right. then I'm typically looking to buy it at a 25 to 30% discount. So if I, if the house is worth a hundred thousand and I'm looking to buy it at a 25% discount, then my base price is 75,000. But if it needs an additional $25,000 of work to get to that point where it's worth 100,000, then I subtract an additional 25,000. Mm. So then my max offer is gonna be $50,000. So, and that's where, you know, sometimes people, people don't quite understand the math, how that works. They're like, wow, you, you bought a house for 50,000 and you sold it for a hundred. Yeah, but there's work that comes in that is involved in it. I marketed, I I mark I market with mail. We have uh, you know, just callers, we have uh, you know, we do internet marketing, we do just a number of different ways of marketing. So there's marketing costs, there's time to talk with the sellers and just things like that. So it's just uh, and then obviously the the loans to fund those deals as well. Right. And the hard costs of all the upgrades that you're putting into it to exactly. get it up to market value or maybe a little bit above it, that th there seems to be uh, a lot of financial thinking that you have to do, not emotional thinking, but financial thinking to make sure that you're making the wise decision. And I'm sh uh, I don't know this, but I would assume that there may be times when your head is fighting, fighting your heart a bit about purchasing a house. Can, can you can you just. Think out loud with us about what that conversation is like for you when part of you says this would be a good buy and the other party goes, ah, I'm not so sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, okay. you have to data in or no, what's the expression? Garbage in, garbage out. So yes. the data has to be solid. Okay. Um, one of the mistakes that I made earlier on was I partnered with the wrong realtor. Uh, so my very first flip is a failed flip where he believed that it would be worth 125,000 after we fixed it up. Uh, it did not sell for 125,000. <laughs> uh, it sat on the market for a bit. And when the market sits for, when it sits on the market in such a hot market, you know that it's either overpriced or something else is going on. So uh, I ended up turning it into a rental and I did a cash out refinance, which means I got a loan from a bank and pulled out a good chunk of my money. and. Uh, they appraised it for, I believe it was 105,000. Mm. So it was a significant, you know, $20,000 less percentage wise. That's what 25, 30% of the cost right. difference. Um, so, I mean, my, my number and my math was solid, but that value was incorrect. So that was a learning experience, but that was one where, you know, my head, my heart, it, it tends to be, it tends to happen a lot when I'm in the process of doing a rehab where it's like, oh, I'd love to put marble floors in here. That would look amazing. Or, you know, the type like champagne, it's the expression champagne budget, no champagne dreams on a beer budget. Yes. So you're not, you, it, it has to be appropriate to that. So you, 
look at what else is around, and then you do it to a similar level of finish. So, and again, because if I'm doing marble countertops or granite countertops, it's going to be more expensive than if I were to do laminate countertops. Mm -hmm. And the math sometimes works out, some, or the math is always the math, but I might say, oh, but, you know, maybe I'll just take a little less profit or maybe I'll cut of rationalize with myself and I'll go, oh, but you know, if, if I, and I didn't put it in the budget initially, then I'll go, oh, but you know, a tenant will, will absolutely pay more for granite countertops and they'll take care of it and they'll do long and it's a longer, a longer term play because it's mm -hmm. lower maintenance, which is all true. But if I didn't calculate that into my numbers to begin with, it's an extra $5,000 that gets taken out of my pocket in the end and I have more money left in the deal or so I am at a loss. So Tweet, just to kind of bring up uh, closure to this part of our conversation, if I understand correctly, there are homes that you buy because you believe you can upgrade them and sell them and make money on them, flip them. And there are right. times homes that you buy that you believe you can retain and rent as well. Is that yes. true? Yes. How, how do you make the decision between the two as an entrepreneur? The math. I let the math speak. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, spreadsheets are are my love language. So I, okay. I basically put it in and I run it both ways. If I were to fix it up, sell it, how much of a profit would I make dollars wise? And then how much of a profit would it look like from an ROI standpoint? Because if you're looking at a market like California versus Indiana, if I can make $50,000 on a flip in Indiana, I typically don't have as much money involved versus if I make $50,000 on a house in California, that's a $500,000 house versus, so 50,000, I'm gonna throw a lot of math out at you. If I'm making a $50,000 profit on a $500,000 house versus I have a $50,000 profit on a house that's $250,000, then which is the better right. profit? Like $50,000 is the same, but percentage wise, for the yeah. money that I have into it, the 250 is going to be is going to be better, yeah. uh, or at least more profitable. Uh, so that's part of the calculation that I put in there. But my end game is to build a rental empire, to have as many rentals as possible. So if I can, if it can cash flow my minimum. So I used to have a minimum of $100 per door. Uh, per month after I've paid all of my expenses. So I've set aside capital expenditures. So saving for a roof, rainy day type things. Right. Um, if I have the ability to, uh, and if I have the ability to pull all or most of my money out, that's also a big contributing factor. So if I have, if I buy a house that's worth $100,000, uh, I just got a bunch of uh, appraisals back for cash out refinances that I'm doing. And there was one house that I I purchased for $16,000. Wow. Like, where can you buy a house for $16,000? Right? Wow. <laughs> and it was a brick house. It's great. Wow. But it was it was from a person who, you know, she and her husband used to live there. They outgrew the home because it was a two bedroom, one bath. Uh, they rented it out and they just had terrible, terrible, terrible time with tenants. They were just over it. They're like, just pay off what we have left in our mortgage. And I just want this out of my life. Mm. Um, and so we put in about $25,000 to fix it up uh, at the time, because it's been about a year at the time, I thought it would be worth between 69 to $75,000. Uh, and it appraised for about, uh, I want to say 85. 
thousand dollars. So I was able to, so when I do a cash out refinance, typically the lenders are going to give me a 75% loan to value. Mm. So I have, what's the math on that? Anyway, I have less than the 75% of that number in there. So I've pulled out all of my money. I've paid back my private money lender who funded this deal for me yes. and I get to cash flow at, and I get to have, I can't remember for this specific property, but like somewhere between a hundred to $150 per month cash flow, uh, after I've paid all of my expenses. So that's the, that's like my, my home run, my, my unicorn that I'm looking for all day yeah. long. Um, so that I can get my money in, do my work, pull my money out and then put that money into the next property. And then it becomes an annuity that you're making a hundred dollars or more per month off of a free cash flow that is your business. Exactly. Well, how interesting. And I yeah. wish we had more time to talk about the details of this because this, this is fascinating to me. And as an entrepreneur, it's very exciting to hear what you're building after two years in of a side hustle that you've turned into a full-time business. If someone would like to connect with you on LinkedIn or learn more about your business, how do they find you online, Twee? So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Twee Fam Satrapi. It looks like my name is up there. I don't think there are any other Twee Fam Satrapis out there. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I married a man who had a unique last name and I decided to hyphenate just to keep it fun. Uh, and uh, or I can also be found on YouTube as well. So Twee Fam uh, or just I believe you can just type in my name. It's the uh, long distance or Remote Rehab Chronicles is the name of my YouTube channel. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, this has been a joy to spend some time with you. And I want to thank you. you for being a friend and a part of our community. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Uh, it has. I'd like to thank our audience. You've been a part of the Orange County's longest running uh, business talk show. Twee's interview was episode number 1,348 in our catalog. And if you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you'd like to tell your story, then connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. And that's also uh, my website, rickfranzi.com. Would love to hear from you. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.